you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to Move the Six, presented by AARP. DJ Bucky back with you. And uh, Buck, man, we've got a great guest today and we've got plenty to discuss. Yeah, plenty to discuss. We're bringing on one of my former teammates, Mark Brunel, longtime quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Also spent time with a few other teams, the New Orleans Saints. We saw him with the Jets. We saw him with the Washington Redskins. Also started out with the Green Bay Packers. So we'll talk to him. We'll talk about these Pro Bowl rosters and what it may mean uh, for some of the teams that had so many guys that were really making the list and then we talk about some of these early games so i'm excited let's get to talking yeah we're gonna have some fun with that i I do want to talk though at the top about the change just took place in jacksonville and you mentioned it we're going to talk to your former teammate here mark burnell in a little bit we can get his opinion on the changes taking place there in jacksonville but just your immediate reaction when you saw the news um coming on the heels of all this news leaking out about all these fines that uh, that tom coughlin was not let go at the end of the season he was let go darn near in the middle of the night you know uh dj this is this is a tough one is it's tough for a few different things obviously having played for coach coughlin um i have a level of respect for what he's been able to accomplish in the league two-time super bowl winner did great things in jacksonville during his first stint and even during the second stint they had a level of success that made you think that look he, he does a really good job of building a team however when these things come out you kind of wonder why all of a sudden the jaguars underachieved i think these kind of these these allegations or these 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 things that have come out they kind of let you know like just maybe the morale part of the equation fell apart explain by the way some people might not know explain explain so so there there were a i mean like hundreds of thousands of fines levied to jaguars players for things Leonard Fournette uh, sitting on the bench during the game as opposed to standing up when he was <laughs> inactive. Uh, uh, Dante Fowler um, not rehabbing at the facility when in the CBA, every player has the right to seek rehab outside of the facility. That's your choice. And working out in the offseason at your team is voluntary, not mandatory, with the exception of uh, minicamp dates and and those things. And so... It, it just, I mean, like, you don't even get all the other little fines and stuff that came out, but you just see a level of pettiness that makes it really, really hard as a player to feel like the organization really cares for you when they're always in your pocket over something that you, as a player, may not think really leads to victory or success on the field. You know, when, I, when this came out, I was thinking about it. Um from you know, it was, this happened, and it's right around signing day, right? We just had the early signing day for the NCAA, all these high school kids, and I started thinking about um, just how things have changed from a recruiting standpoint. Think back to when you were getting heavily recruited, Buck. There weren't facilities with water fountains. Mm-hmm. The kids weren't quite coddled quite as much or promised quite as much during our day as they are now. It's different, but you know what? You know what Clemson and Alabama and, and Oklahoma and all these top teams do? They realize this is how it's changed 
So we're going to change with it. This is what we have to do to get the, the best players in here. And then when they get in here, um, you know, you're not going to, it's just not that berating culture that, that you used to yes. have. And I feel like Coach Coughlin had a formula that worked. Kids changed, times changed. He didn't. And that's why we find ourselves where we are. Yeah, that, I, I'll be honest with you. Like the formula worked, but I, I will say this, DJ, like in all honesty, um, I think it might have worked in spite of him, not because of him. Like, I, I think some of those teams, and you look mm -hmm. at the success uh, that we had in Jacksonville. Like, I was on a team in 96. We went from 3-6 and six to making it into playoffs and knocking off the Buffalo Bills and the Denver Broncos, the Broncos being the number one seed before we lost in the championship game. And a lot of that stuff was player-driven. And that's not to take credit from the coaches for building game plans, but a lot of it from a leadership standpoint came from players saying, hey, man, guys, we're good enough to go on a run. Let's, let's just see what we can do. And I think sometimes with mm -hmm. Coach, and we've heard this with the Giants and when, when they won with Michael Strahan and how the rules, and we, man, every place he's, we've heard people kind of balk at some of these rules that were out there. And we heard them say that, hey, he let up a little bit, he showed that he cared a little more about us. We then took that and we were able to go on. And I think when you talk about Clemson and, and really Clemson, because we use Clemson since they're the defending national champion. Yeah. The one thing that Dabo said when we talked to him, he talked about, man, you got to make it about the players. The players got to know that you care about them. They got to know that you love them, that you're, you're you, even when you're criticizing them, you're doing it out of love because you're trying to help them become better young men, better players, all of those things. I don't know if that connection uh, resonates in Jacksonville when Coach Coughlin is always taking and you may not perceive that he's giving in any capacity. Well, I mean, I was there um, for the Charger game. They were both 4-8 at that time. The stadium was half empty. There was absolutely no juice. I mean, no juice from the sideline, no juice from on the field. Like, it was just – it looked like a beaten-down – team you know and and i'm not saying that's all on tom coughlin but just the whole culture the whole environment there um and i did not get it i did not get a a fun energetic even though you're losing like even the chargers they're they have a terrible year um but they had energy there and some of that's from the players that they have the derwin james and those types of guys but some of that also emanates from the sideline and i, I think you know sideline as well as upstairs as well so I, I don't know i just got the feeling when i was there i was like man this is not a good environment well dj you you can understand the culture right like so let's let's take that and think about some of the positive cultures that we have seen and been around like we we've seen how the seattle seahawks look like they're having a ton of fun when they're playing games like that looks like an engaging environment where you want to be a part of it we've seen the kansas city chiefs uh it looks like it's fun they're throwing the ball all over the, yeah. the yard like everyone is kind of jumping around it's exciting you like those things um shoot i mean even the buffalo bills and in their culture like look it's workman like it's blue collar but it still looks like it's fun because the coach is in there with it and i think that's also the big thing too coach coughlin wasn't the coach he's the executive vp he no. was in charge of football operations how many times have we seen an executive have this big of a thumbprint on the organization where it really filters down to the field. Like normally because he they, wanted to be the coach. Right. How do and you that, say otherwise? And that, and that is and that is the hardest part. And I really feel like for Doug Marone, um, look, he, he was undermined because the guy up top really wants to be in your spot. So if we have all these fines that are being meted out, 
Did Doug Marone want these fines? Did he want these guys to have money taken out of their pockets for some of the things that were going on? Is that a Doug Marone thing? Is that a Tom Coughlin thing? So if it's not a Marone thing, how can you as a player look at Marone when he's standing in the front of the room and acting like the authoritative figure, knowing that he's ultimately not the one calling shots? It undermined him. I do wonder if some of that weakened his ability to get the team heading in the right direction. Yeah, I know one good thing, if you look at this Jaguar organization, look at this roster, um, I'm not ready to, to give up on Gardner Minshew yet. I think there might be something there. We've seen some flashes of good play there, so I think you've, you've got a chance that he could be that guy going forward. Um, you look at you know Josh Allen, their first-round pick this last year. Um, Ten sacks. You know, he's had a great year. He's yeah. on every all-rookie team. I think he's, yeah, he's double digits in sacks. So uh, they've got some good pieces in, in place there. Wide receiver group, love DJ Chark, some of, the, some of the guys they have there as well. So there is some talent. There is some talent on this football team, but, man, it has been uh, outside of the, the win last week, it had just been one lopsided loss after another. And then I think when all these stories broke about the fines, especially Dante Fowler, I think it was, what, $300,000 worth of no, fines that he got back. No, $700,000. got back. Was it seven hundred? Seven hundred thousand. Crazy. Like, so DJ. So from a culture yeah. standpoint, like just just think about this because there's some recruiting that takes place uh, in the free agent market. So when these words, because you understand players talk, like it kind of filters all throughout the league. Why would anybody really want to be excited about going to Jacksonville to play when you walk into a culture that is like this? Like, yeah, you can throw a ton of money and no state tax in Florida um, to get some guys in. But then when you get there, are you happy? We know that the happiest teams, the teams that really like coming to work, that like being around each other, are the ones that are the most successful. Look at how Baltimore yeah. appears to really like each other. Some of that is a byproduct of winning, but they appear to really like uh, being around each yeah. other and going to work. Man, when it's miserable, man, you're not going to win games in that environment. No, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, look, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. Is that is that the end of the change? Is that the beginning of the change? We'll see what else happens here um, as they go through the rest of the offseason. Buck, we got three games on Saturday. Um, highlighted by the one I'm looking forward to, the 10-4 and four Bills at the 11-3 and three Patriots. And if you look at these two teams – you know, we always say, we always use the line on here, what is your formula? Every team has a different formula for winning. And I think when you look at the records of these two teams, it's pretty obvious and pretty plain. While the formulas might be a little bit different, they know who they are and what they need to do to win football games. Yeah, and I think, I think that's the key. And, and I think we should focus in on the Buffalo Bills because we've talked about the Patriots a long time about their formula and recipe. I think yeah. the Buffalo Bills are interesting. And we always hear that um, – a team is built in the image of the coach. And so when you look at Sean McDermott and Sean McDermott's background, former walk-on at William & Mary, um, a guy that kind of worked his self up the ranks and the coaching ranks, very influenced by the late Jim Johnson during his time in Philadelphia, takes over his coordinated goals to Carolina, works up on the Ron Rivera, uh, goes to a Super Bowl with that team before having his own squad in Buffalo. And when I look at them, um, look, man, they get guys that are hard-head lunch bell guys, blue-collar uh, effort is at a premium. When you watch them play, they play hard. Uh, the guys that they've drafted of late have been those kind of players. You talk about Ed Oliver, Edmonds, uh, Davis White. Like we see those guys kind of fit um, the description of what they want in the locker room. And then for them to understand what they have in Josh Allen and to take Josh Allen for who he is and to build an offense around what he does well um, while trying to get him to, to, to work on the other stuff, um, 
they've done a really good job. And I think this is a team that knows their defense leads the way. They're very solid in their special teams. And if they can get enough plays on offense from Josh Allen as a runner, as an improvisational playmaker, that is just enough for them to win. They're a very, very difficult team to kind of deal with. Yeah, I just I look at it from their defensive roster to their quarterback to their running back to their tight end and just tough. I mean, that's the word. You just yes. write tough down on the paper and underline it, all of them. And, and that's that's what kind of starts from the head coach. I think uh, Brandon Bean deserves a lot of credit for how he built the roster. Um, I think the familiarity there is also something that's key. While they haven't been together in Buffalo for, for you know a tremendous number of years, they were together in Carolina, as, as you know, Buck. And I think when you look at comparing them with the Patriots, the Patriots – They've had continuity, and when you have continuity, you have continuity of vision, and when you find something that works, then it's easy to just keep refilling and refilling and refilling, and that's that's where they are right now in Buffalo. It's a good spot. It is a really good spot, and I, look, I, look, we talk about the podcast, and we talk about the people on the inside, because a lot of times the people on the inside don't get enough credit, so everyone knows about Brandon Bean, and they know about Sean McDermott, but some of the other guys that yeah. are working there, they've done a really good job. Uh, Joe Shane has, has been there, and we all were together yep. in Carolina, not Sean McDermott, but Brandon Bean, Joe Shane, and myself uh, haven't been there. Lake Dawson, who's one of my closest friends inside and outside the business, is is working there. Uh, Terrence, uh, like they have a lot of guys in there that understand what a championship squad should look like. And I think the great thing is this is a team that does it without a lot of fanfare, a team that just kind of goes to work and they play the right way. And I think if you are a fan of roster building, team, team building, I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from the way the Buffalo Bills have kind of built a team that looks like they're going to be uh, a contender for the duration because they're just at the beginning of their ascension. I think they have a chance to be good for a long, long time. You know, it's interesting. I, I wanted to hit this point on the quarterbacks because while you would think Tom Brady and Josh Allen don't have much in common in terms of play style, I mean, totally different mm-hmm. in terms of how they play the game. The toughness component is there, but there's also, there's like a juice that they bring. You yes. know, there's an, there's an energy and a passion that comes out in the way they play. And I was talking to a, a personnel executive the other day about this, and we were talking about, um, you know, like Lamar Jackson. He brings the energy to that position. Um, look, Baker has not had a great year this year, but that's something that he brings. He's, he's got some fire. And, and it's going to be fascinating when we fast forward into this upcoming draft mm-hmm. because – like a guy, a guy like Herbert, that's the one question people have is like, is this guy a flatliner or does he going to be able to bring some of that energy and some of that juice uh, to the table? Because that's something that's talked about a lot more than people know on the outside, on the inside. People are looking at we're drafting this guy to be our guy for the next you know, 15 years man, we, we'd like to have somebody that's going to bring some life and some juice to the building. Yeah, juice matters. And, and that juice is the energy that your teammates are able to feed off of. And now, the, the thing is, I, I want a guy that plays with emotion, but I don't want a guy who is emotional, meaning that he has these ups and downs and ebbs yeah. and flows in his play based on uh, good play, bad play. But I do want him to lead and inspire his teammates. And I, I think the common denominator, you talk about Tom Brady and Josh Allen and the juice that they bring. Um, I think they're guys, guys, meaning that I think their teammates respect him because of 
how hard they work, how hard they play, their ability and willingness to get in the trenches and to do that. I think Josh Allen taking uh, selfies with the fans after the game uh, when they arrived at 2 a.m. after the big win mm-hmm. at Pittsburgh. I think that ingratiates yourself to your short teammates. Sleeves. Yeah, like I, I, and I think that, and I, I think everyone has to understand, having played up there, having been a part of Bill's Mafia, when you're in western New York, you're kind of isolated. Like, you're, you're a blue-collar team. You're in a blue-collar town. Like, the town is everything. The Buffalo Bills are kind of the epicenter of what goes on in Buffalo. And so... The players that you have on the roster and your leader in the face of the franchise is Josh Allen. He has to embrace that part of it, meaning that if I'm a Bills fan and, man, I'm working hard from 9 to 5, um, a blue-collar job, the quarterback that I see, I want to I see him emulate some of those qualities that I believe that I display going to work each and every day. And so Josh Allen does that. A number of guys on their roster shows that. And I think they've done a great job of – building a team that is in the image of the city. And that's why I think you see that great connection between the team and the city. No doubt. Well, I'm looking forward to that game. We also have, uh, what else we got? We've got Rams 49ers. We also have one more. What is that? We got Bucks, Bucks and, uh, and Texans. Texan. So it's going to be a good Saturday of football, man. Yeah, good Saturday of football. I, 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 look, this Rams 49ers game is interesting because I'm just curious to see which Rams team shows up. Like right now, it appears all hope is lost, mm-hmm. that they should just kind of pack it up, get ready for the offseason. They're not going to be able to make the playoffs. But historically, these teams – Games in this division are very, very tight. We've seen the 49ers play tight games of late against maybe, like, look, they they lost a game to the Falcons. How are the 49ers showing up? How are they going to go into the postseason? Are they going to go in with a bang where they're playing well and we can see them playing their best football? Or are they going to kind of back in with a whimper? Um, This is a big game for me um, in looking at the 49ers and what they could do in the postseason. Yeah, the 49ers, the last couple weeks, even in the win over the Saints, and you look at the loss of the Falcons, some issues in the secondary have have popped up. Um, And this is a Rams team that, look, when they're right, they can take advantage of you down the field. So I think this will be a good measuring stick here to see if the 49ers have been able to get some of those issues corrected there on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I I do want to, before we get to your former teammate Mark Burnell, uh, the Ravens, 12 Pro Bowl players. And look, I get it. The Pro Bowl is a popularity contest. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean these are the best players, you know, the top, top players in the NFL. And I still have an issue when you have all left tackles and you don't recognize the right tackles as, as two different positions. Um, that, that, that bugs me. But look, 12 Pro Bowlers, Mark Andrews, the long snapper, uh, Morgan Cox, Marlon Humphrey, Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, obviously, Matt Judon, Marcus Peters, uh, Patrick Ricard as the fullback, also plays some DT, Ronnie Stanley, Earl Thomas, uh, Justin Tucker, best kicker in football, and then Marshall Yonda, who still continues to play at a, mm-hmm. a very high level. Look, that's a, that's a tremendous accomplishment, and I think it goes along a little bit with what we were talking about with New England and what Buffalo's starting to build there. Um, Baltimore has a system in place where Ozzie'd been there forever. Ozzie's still there, still in the building, still involved. Hand the keys to the car to Eric DaCosta, who's been there for 20 years. Um, there's a lot of familiarity in that building. They know what they want, and they go out and get it. Yeah, I, I think that's the best thing. And like DJ, you obviously have worked uh, for the Baltimore Ravens for a while. I can tell you on the outside, uh, having worked at other teams, uh, we looked uh, and revered the Baltimore Ravens and the way they used to build teams. Uh, the way that th- there was a stretch there where Ozzy and the staff didn't miss on draft picks, particularly in the first round. Um, long, long track record of success of getting guys. And 
Look, it's funny because I think you work with those guys, the Art Perkins, Shaq Harris, uh, when James Shaq hey, Harris hey, was yeah. working there. Um, those guys, I, I used to call them like at the combine, I would sit with them because they were the barbershop. They were the elders. They were the wise old men who would dispense um, scouting nuggets and lessons. And I think what I took from there in Baltimore, you obviously can, can give even a, a greater testimony about it is, look, man, go get football players. Go get guys that love playing football. Mm-hmm. Go get guys that are productive. Yes, the measurables and stuff matter to a degree, but the guys that you want to take are the guys that when you pop off the tape, they dominate. They, it, it shows up. More production, less projection. You see it, you know exactly what it is, and yep. then how do they fit? And it always struck me, not only in that building, that they were okay with some personality, that they weren't afraid of taking guys that may have had a little personality because they felt like they had the right guys to kind of be able to, to, to manage and, and, and get all those things going. And so when I've looked at Baltimore and have admired what they've been able to do in terms of the long success that they've had is just because I admire how they evaluate players and how they put together a team. They just go get really good football players. They put them together. They allow them to be themselves within the team concept and they've won a lot of games as a result. And here's another example of why you don't take shortcuts in the scouting process. So when if you're if you win a bunch of games, you know you're going to be picking in the late 20s or early 30s, and you have players that are going to be higher picks, and you know we have no shot at them. Ah, we don't need to do all our homework on those guys. No, no, no. Do your homework on those guys because one one time in their career, these guys are going to be available and on the market. And when you get mm-hmm. Earl Thomas as a free agent, when you get Marcus Peters via trade, Mark Ingram as a free agent, these guys were all first round picks for other teams had some success, obviously where they were previously, but the Ravens knew having done their homework these are our type of guys they go out and get three first round caliber players via free agency and trade and what do you know they're three of the 12 pro bowlers uh DJ you said something uh that I kind of want to press you on it because you talked about our kind of guys and for years and years on end having had friends that worked there coached there or whatever like people talk about uh and it originated there. Play like a Raven so if you go all the way back to the time when you used to sit in the room and you were wearing black and purple what does that mean? What, what, what is a raven? Like, what, what are descriptive qualities uh, to being a raven? Well, we always focused on speed, toughness, instincts. Those are the three big things. Um, those are the main things we focused on. But there was also something uh, like a raven finishes every play. You know, they play to and through the whistle. There's a grittiness, toughness, nastiness edge to those guys. Um, there's... Um, you know, they're guys that in key moments in games, those are the guys that end up making the football play. And it might be, might not be the fastest guy uh, on the field, but he's just got a knack for making that play. So uh, that's kind of how that all, all came together. And we, we didn't care about time speed. It was all play speed. So you, you focus on that. But really, speed, toughness, instincts. And then if I could use another word, I would just add there's like a grittiness you know, kind of a Pete Carroll word there, but yeah, that's no, that's, one of the things that you look like, for. It, it's funny, be, okay, because, and I believe this, and, and you talked about the division that you were in, having to face Pittsburgh twice a year, having to deal with Cleveland, uh, regardless of what Cleveland's record is. Like, those games are rough and tumble, even the Cincinnati Bengals, because they've had a level of success. Um, I, I kind of liken it to when I close my eyes and someone says, the Baltimore Ravens are playing, there is a vision for how they play, mm-hmm 
what their players look like, um, the physicality and toughness that that game is going to require for you to win, and those things. And I think there was a, a time where you guys had a rivalry with the Tennessee Titans, and the Tennessee Titans had some mm-hmm. of that. And when I was in Jacksonville and we would come up and, and play the Baltimore Ravens, we kind of knew what kind of rock'em sock'em game it was going to be. And so let's just think about this from a, a team building standpoint. Like you're, you're in charge of building a team. Do you believe that those traits, you talked about speed, toughness, instincts, greediness, are those traits what is necessary to be a championship team, regardless of where you play, whether it's in the Northeast, in the South, out West, are those things uh, traits that can transcend where you play, who you play, and the type of style that they play? I think 100%. And I think you have to have those three. Now, you can you can look at different teams around the league, and they'll have higher le- – one team might have a little bit higher level of speed, like the Chiefs would be you know, maybe a little bit more speed, maybe a little less toughness. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, still have a bunch of instinctive football players there. Uh, some teams might be the opposite, a little more toughness, maybe not quite as much speed. But I think those are three of the main components you've got to have, at least to an acceptable level, uh, those three teams. I've yet to find a great – pro football team that is slow like just doesn't exist if you've got a slow football team you're not any good you better be able to run and and i could say the same about toughness and, and having instincts yeah i i think there's something to it and i think as we get to the nitty-gritty of the regular season and then going into the playoffs uh, i think those things uh show up i don't think it's a coincidence that the teams that we're going to see in the tournament they kind of have that grittiness. They kind of have a toughness about them. A lot of times, and, and look, there, there's debates about like where the running game and stuff kind of falls into the equation in terms of a winning formula. But one of the reasons why you hear all these old school coaches talk about the running game, because in, in, in our minds or in their minds, it's, it's a show of toughness. That at some point in the game, in a four-minute drill, when we have to have a guy-to-have-it run, our guys are tougher than your guys, and we're going to move you off the ball. And so that physicality, that toughness, and then the speed element, I just believe it, it works. And I think when you look at them right now this year, the speed and explosiveness, man, when I look at Lamar Jackson, when I see Marquise Brown, when I oh, see yeah. those guys make explosive plays in the run game and the pass game, it's there. When I think about the toughness, that defense is salty. Uh, the defense runs around, they hit yep. you, they, they, they batter you, they beat your quarterback up, they're unafraid to bring pressure on any down from anywhere, but then flip that to their offense. When you play that style of offense, running the ball, and you're willing to run it four downs and, and grind it up, there's a level of toughness and physicality oh, yeah. and grit that you have to have. And I just think with the Baltimore Ravens, they embody those traits that you say that they have said that that's what we're going to be defined on, where they're one of the teams where the vision matches the product on the field, and that's why you see them win. You know, I, I, I think about this, Buck. It's, you, you said that beautifully. I, I think if you put yourself in a car, and, you know, you're driving your car and you have your different gauges, right? Where's your, you know, where's your gas level? Where's your tire pressure? All that stuff. If you're at the end of a football season, you have to picture yourself in a car, and if you have the gauges of speed, toughness, instincts, you know, I would put playmaking ability, mm-hmm. gritting it, whatever. But that's the important time of the year is because you have to look at those gauges and say, okay, we are a little bit low in this area right here. We got to get faster this offseason. We got, you know, we're, 
we're not good enough. We're not physical enough. We've got to go out and get tougher. Like that kind of gives you, you know, your, your instructions of what you need to do when you quote unquote go into the body shop in the off season. So it's funny that you said it, right? Because last off season, I think when we talked about them, we talked about they needed to upgrade their speed. So what do they do? They go and get every yep. athlete that they could find to surround Lamar Jackson. I mean, this is a fast team. When you look at them, they play fast. And some of it, why they look fast is because they beat you up so much that you don't have a lot left in the late stages of games. And that's when the speed, <laughs> that's when the speed really takes over. Because, And we've talked about it um, away from the podcast. We talked about how the way they create matchups, man, they have Lamar Jackson going against all those big guys that you have on the field to match up with their bigs. And he is He's the road runner. He just runs away from everybody. So after they beat you up for three quarters, you still got to tackle number eight. Uh, You got to find a way to corral number 15. And their speed is overwhelming. And it's one of the reasons why that offense has been high powered. No doubt. They're rolling right now. Favorites to win the whole thing. Uh, all right, Buck, let's not wait any longer here. It's uh, it's great to catch up with great players. It's even more fun to catch up uh, with great players happen to be teammates of Bucky Brooks. So here's our conversation with Mark Brunel. DJ, it is always a good time when I get to talk to former teammates. So we're going to talk to three-time pro bowler and my former teammate with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Mark Brunel. Mark, how you doing today? I'm good, Bucky. Good to see you. Man, really good seeing you. Um, look, man, it's, it's, it's always been uh, a blast watching you play and then to, to, to watch you go on and play 19 years in the National Football League, to hear about you coaching and those things. But I want to go all the way back to when you started in Green Bay. Talk okay. briefly about playing in Green Bay with a quarterback developer and Mike Holmgren and being in a talented quarterback room. Well, uh, yeah, let me let me say this first. And uh, I didn't play in Green Bay. Uh, um, got a little time in, in preseason, but some guy named Brett, some guy named Brett Favre there, you know, he he got all the playing time. But I'll tell you, Bucky, it's it was the ideal situation for me because I got to learn behind Brett. Uh, Ty Detmer was in the room, learned a lot from Ty Detmer. And then you look at that coaching staff, as you know, I mean, Mike Holmgren, uh, Steve Mariucci, John Gruden. Uh, gosh, Andy Reid, uh, Ray Rhodes, the list goes on and on. I was surrounded by some great coaches, Dick Geron, and I didn't even know uh, how good it was there. But for me, it was ideal because I got to learn at the West Coast system, very quarterback friendly in my opinion. Um, got to cut my teeth on that type of offense. and was really good for me. Uh, Steve Mariucci did a good job teaching me the fundamentals. So the fact that I didn't have to play because I wasn't ready to play. I didn't have to play, sit back for a couple of years and just kind of get acclimated to the NFL is perfect. Mark, I'm always curious when you go into a situation like that and you see an otherworldly talent like Brett and you're throwing one next to him. Is there, was there ever a moment in your young career where you're, you're like, wait a second, I'm not, I, I'm not good. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Every- look at this guy. Like, I, I just wonder if that if there was a little doubt at some point in time. I remember watching Brett. It was the first seven on seven. It was a mini camp or something like that. And uh, he strolls out there. I, I just met the guy. And obviously, uh, real country, strong. I heard he had a strong arm. I didn't know a lot about Brett Farr, but he was good. He was good to me, real friendly. I remember watching him in his first seven on seven, the first practice I was there. And I thought, if I've got to be that, I will never make it in this league because <laughs> the arm strength and, I mean, the accuracy. Now, you got to remember, when I was with Brett Favre, this was pre-MVP Super Bowl champion Brett Favre. There was a lot of good. Mm-hmm. 
But in, in 93 and 94, there was a lot of bad too. So I learned from, from Brett. What I learned most from Brett was it, it was his toughness, the way he played. He played hard, man. Wasn't always pretty, but he played hard. You know, Mark, there are always conversations about the quarterback room and, and backups and the roles that they play when it comes to the starter. Uh, you mentioned all the names that were in the room, you and Ty Detmer and Brett. What is the chemistry and continuity camaraderie like when you have a really good quarterback room? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. And uh, I think for a starter, uh, starters appreciate having a good quarterback room. It's, it's, it, it's the safe place. It's the place where you feel like you could – you can vent. You can share your frustrations. Uh, talk about other players, and and uh, in a good way. Sometimes, uh, in, in a way that that really only your, your the other quarterbacks should be hearing. Because um, um, you really want a quarterback room in the where the where the second and the third guy that they support you, um, that they're in your corner, that they're another set of eyes. They want to make you better. They're there to to uh, help you be the best that you can be. And, uh, but it needs to be a safe place. It, it makes all the difference in the world. If you got a guy that's your backup that all he wants to do is take your job and will do anything to get there, I mean, that sounds crazy, but it, it exists. Uh, so having a good quarterback room is important because you do, you know, you talk about the receivers that you like and the, the, the receivers you're not on the same page with. You can't share those things with everybody. And uh, linemen that are doing a good job, the linemen that are struggling. So it's, you got to have a safe place, a safe place to go to where you could trust these guys to. Uh, where they'll allow you to vent any kind of frustrations that, that you might have. Mark, outstanding passer, but one of the more athletic quarterbacks, you know, during your era. And you look at guys like you and Steve Young. Um, do you watch some of the evolution of the game now? And I know with you coaching, I'm sure you've incorporated a lot of these concepts. But are you a little, uh, just a tiny bit jealous? If you could have been able, you would have been <laughs> perfect running some of the zone read stuff and all this stuff that you see now uh, permeate the league. I mean, where were where were the RPOs when I was playing, man? I mean, <laughs> golly, I would have yes. loved that. Yes. I mean, all all of my yards, all of my yards, really. I mean, I, I might have got a uh, a quarterback draw every now and then, but I was scrambling, you know. And and I think you guys would would agree that you you really can't make a, a living in the NFL by just being a scrambler, running around. You gotta you gotta be able to operate out of the out of the pocket uh, at some point. But now what you're seeing. Um, it's really impressive. You can, you can a quarterback can run the football and uh, be very effective. We've seen that with Lamar. I mean, l- listen, I, about five weeks ago, uh, I watched Lamar th- for the first time, and I remember, and I remember hearing him you know, how great he was. And I'm thinking, okay, what's all the fuss about? So I watched the game. I don't know it was a Thursday night game or something, and guys, I couldn't believe it. I mean, the the arm talent, uh, the athleticism, the decision making. I thought this guy's going to revolutionize the position, and perhaps he's doing that right now. I don't think we've seen anything like that. Now, you guys talk about it every day, but but uh, uh, I'm so impressed, and it's going to be really interesting to see where the quarterback position goes from here. But uh, the kid's amazing, and you know what else? He's a great kid. I met at the, met him at the combine. I could not have been more impressed with him. Um, so good for him and his success, but he's been great to watch. Hey, Mark, I, I, w- I want to go back to the run that we had in, in Jacksonville. Uh, there was a run there where you, man, you were playing at a high level, 96, 97, um, and then 99. Um, Coach Coughlin obviously was the head of those teams. When you go back and you think about Coach Coughlin as a coach, just kind of describe how he was so the listeners can understand what kind of coaching we received during that time. 
Yeah. Uh, listen, Coach Coughlin was, first of all, he was very consistent. His expectations were very high. And if you didn't meet those expectations, he was going to let you know about it. Uh, yeah, there were rules, very disciplined program. Um, and uh, it was tough. It was a tough environment. Uh, could you say that it was tough to play for Coach Coffin? Yeah, you could say that. And there were boundaries. And if you stepped outside those boundaries, there were consequences. Guys got fined. Uh, but all of that stuff that I mentioned, Bucky, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's old school. Um, and maybe there were times that it frustrated a lot of players. I know it frustrated me to be in that, that much of a rigid environment. But I'll tell you what. Uh, we were successful. It worked. We won. Um, the guys uh, that we had were, were hardworking guys, played hard, won a lot of games. And it's amazing that, that you know, when you win, those things are okay. But when you lose, those things are tough to deal with. And I think that's what the Jaguars are going through right now. You know, because they're losing and you got these rules and these fines, people, want, you know, players want no part of it. But uh, I've got no problem with old school. I've got no problem with high expectations and, and uh, disciplined program and being in a tough environment. My experience is, Bucky, that for us, it was very good in those early years. And again, we won. So, 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 Mark, so now that you're a high school coach, do you have Brunel time? <laughs> do you have those guys working, operating on Brunel time? Everyone has to show up five minutes early, hats Listen. off, hard shoes on, khakis, college shirts. Is, is, that, is that the Mark Brunel head coach that I'm talking to right now? Well, listen, if I can just get them to show up to practice, I don't even care what time they get there. Uh, you know what? It, it, it's funny you say that, though, but because – I find myself saying certain things that uh, remind me of Coach Coughlin. And uh, uh, most of the time, I'm pretty even killed, laid back. But something about something about Friday nights and, and uh, you know, being out there competitive because you're, you're coaching these kids. And, but, you know, and you're, you're, you're rooting for them, you're cheering for them, you're yelling at them, you're encouraging them, all that stuff. But you could do absolutely nothing about what happens on the field. So your, your competitive juices get going. But. Listen, I love what I'm doing, coaching these young men and, and the opportunity to, to hopefully shape their lives and be a positive influence. It's great. But I do find myself having a little bit of uh, Coach Coughlin in me. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I love it. Well, look, those kids are very fortunate to be coached by you. I can't imagine having Mark Brunell as a, as a high school coach. Uh, Mark, we've asked so many different quarterbacks that have come on and different coaches and general managers ab about the position. In, if, in your opinion, if, if you boiled it down, like if you're trying to construct a quarterback, the two or three traits you think are at the very top of the list that you've got to have to be a great quarterback in the NFL. Well, obviously, you've got to have some arm talent, some athleticism, and uh, some good college tape, some experience. But if I was going to pick two qualities that I think are really important, I'm going to start one with work ethic. You got to be a worker. You got to be a grinder. You got to put the time in. Uh, starting quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, there are no days off. Um, you might get a couple hours on a Tuesday or something like that, but there really are no days off. The best example I have is Drew Brees. I was with him for two years. I've never seen a guy like that. Not just quarterback. I'm talking about athlete work in the weight room, in the film room, mm -hmm. on the field. You talk about putting time in. He had a great has a great work ethic, and I think another quality too is a passion for the game. You really got to love the game. You got to love what you're doing, uh, you, and you got to love every part of it. Um, you know, the Tuesdays when you're in the building and you're watching tape for five or six hours, you got to love that part of it. And I think the guys that that do, they turn out to be the great ones. Um, 
it's it, it is the Drew Brees, it's the Peyton Mannings, it's the Tom Brady's, the great quarterbacks. They they got great work ethic, and they love the game. They're competitors. Uh, when the lights go on, they play at a very high level uh, every day. They bring their A game. They're professionals, and they just make people around them better. So those two qualities, the work ethic and the passion for the game, I think are very important. Very important for NFL quarterbacks. So, Mark, you you transitioned nicely in your post career. You did a little TV. You coached a little high school ball. But tell me what you're doing with NFL legends and the legends community. Legends community started about six years ago now, and and we. We basically do our best to connect with former players. You mentioned transition. A lot of guys have a tough time, Bucky, with transition. Most guys do. So when a, when a player is, is out of the league and, and, uh, and some guys struggle for years and years, we try to connect with those guys and try to make that transition smooth, offer benefits and resources and opportunities that can kind of get them on the right path. We also, guys, we, we, we try to celebrate these guys. Um, what they accomplished, whether they played two years or 19 years. It's very special, and that should be celebrated. So getting the opportunity to, to get in these guys' lives and, and hear their story, find out you know, how they are, uh, connect them with their teams, connect them with former te- uh, te- their teammates, connect them with the NFL. Uh, it's very rewarding to see guys um, um, really do well after, after the NFL, and it's not the case for everyone. So that really is our job, guys. We, we uh uh, we really make a great effort to to uh, make sure that, get that life after football for these guys is as easy as possible. And the NFL does a very, very good job of providing resources, um, uh, me- mental health resources, physical health resources, job opportunities, and different career paths, continuing education. The, li- the list goes on and on. The NFL does a good job, and, and that's what we're trying to do. Well, that is phenomenal. Well, Mark, you've been you've been uh, very generous with your time. We thank you so much. Before you go, though, you are talking to to two former scouts. So, if just for a, a brief minute here, if you could put your scouting hat on, I need a scouting report on Bucky Brooks as a, as a teammate, as a football player. Here, what, what do you got? For that you? is hilarious. He doesn't remember. I was there for. What a do minute. you mean I don't remember? Let's, let's just say. You want the truth? You want the truth? No, no. Yes, yes. Let's go. Bucky, first of all, Bucky, first of all, uh, was a very good teammate. You know, and I've always valued guys that are just good guys. They they come to work, they work hard, they do their best. I've always appreciated that. Um, And that was and that was Bucky, talented player. uh, But uh, let's say let's just say that the first group is going against the first group, and and Bucky's on one side. All I'm going to say, DJ, is this, is that there are some corners that you just don't throw at their side. You just don't do it. I and I can, honestly say, I, I can honestly say that Bucky wasn't one of those guys. I'm just kidding. That is just so funny. funny. Uh, Bucky was, that is Bucky funny. Was a good player. Bucky man, was we a had good some, teammate. Man, we had some good times. Like, we had... We had, some, we, we, had some, we had some good times in Jack. I, we did. I, I appreciate that. That crew that you were throwing to, Jimmy Smith and Kenny McCardell, yeah, it's hard to be a good corner when you got studs out there that you can yeah. throw to. They were pretty good. I was very fortunate. Those oh, guys made me, made me okay. <laughs> For sure. Well, hey, that was a lot of fun, Mark. I, I appreciate your time, man. All the best. All right, guys. I appreciate you. Take care, huh? All right, Buck, what a stud, huh? Mark Brunel, I, I think people forget just how good of a player he was, and I, I kind of crack up when I think about 
all those guys coming out of Green Bay and haven't been there at one time or another. Uh, if you want to know about quarterbacks, Ron Wolf's a pretty good guy to talk to. He is a great guy to talk to. Ron Wolf certainly understands the recipe and the formula. He was one of those that uh, kind of passed along every other year. Draft a quarterback. Can't go wrong with a quarterback. Uh, even if you have a surplus, you trade him off, get more picks, do other stuff with him. And so he has an eye for it. I think the thing about Mark that, that set him apart, because I, I was there at the beginning of what was a great three or four year run where he was one of the best quarterbacks in football. Um, left-handed, great arm, great playmaking ability uh may not get enough credit for it. like we see all these guys running around making plays to do a threat ability mark brunel was a guy that could do all that if we could have taken the game and and played it now like when he was in the middle of his prime he absolutely could do all the zone re stuff run around and and make those plays really good player and the combination of mark brunel with jimmy smith and keenan mccardio man it was tough to beat that combination Woo. tough no doubt. Uh, it was a fun com fun conversation. Uh, appreciate him joining us today. All right, Nabil, I think we've got a couple questions here before we wrap it up. What we got? All right, first one. Does the Brady versus Garoppolo trade you discussed mirror the decision the 49ers made with Montana and Young, though the opposite choice? Well, that's a great question. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair comparison. I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to go on to be a Hall of Famer like Steve Young was, but they had to make a decision where they wanted to go younger or stay with the, the guy who'd you know, brought them championships, and they decided to go younger. Yeah, I mean, th th this is a tough one because um, I, I think Bill Belichick is always on the, the front end of, of seeing where players are about to drop off. And I think he deep down wanted to keep Jimmy Garoppolo as the successor to Tom Brady. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. So we'll see Jimmy Garoppolo go on to San Francisco. He's having a ton of success. Looks like he's going to be a guy that eventually becomes a perennial pro bowler and does great things. Uh, but... I don't know how you can knock it when they still continue to win Super Bowls. I think the thing about the San Francisco 49ers, yeah. um, Montana was able was never able to win a Super Bowl on his own when he left and went to Kansas City. Steve Young, I think, only won one after the trade. One, and so, one. Yeah. And yeah. so you would like to think that they would have more success right now. I think Tom Brady is in line to have more success than either one Tom's of those Tom's got two have. in the books. Yeah, he already has two in the books. Yeah. So they've had more success than that. But yeah. very, very similar in terms of being blessed with – two what I would call really good quarterbacks and maybe a, a, the GOAT and a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah, just tough. Yeah, I think, you could make, I think you could make the case that they both made the right decision. You know, opposite decisions, but they both ended up making the right decision. We'll see. We'll see what type of career Garoppolo has going forward. That'll answer that question. All right, what's the next one here, Nabil? Do you think Lamar Jackson will be able to continue to find success next year in the league at a superstar level like now? Go ahead, Buck. Look, man, I, th I think it's going to be the ever-evolving Lamar Jackson, meaning the way that he played this year, next year, he's going to have to unveil some more tricks because everyone is going to spend the offseason dissecting that offense, looking at how he played, trying to figure out if there's a, a weakness to his game that they can exploit. So the challenge will be, can he remain hungry and humble throughout this process? No matter where it winds up, if it winds up in a Super Bowl win, if it winds up falling short of that, can he take what he's learned this year and continue to build on it? Because I think that's what the great ones do. The great ones always continue to add pieces to their arsenal. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Lamar Jackson continues to add to his game as he gains more and more experience in the National Football League. I think there's three three factors there if this is going to keep rolling at this you know MVP level that he's at right now. Number one, health. Um, he's going to need to sustain his health going into next year. Number two, I think it's, it's important that he keeps Greg Roman around there, who's done a beautiful job you know mm -hmm. putting this this offense together. But third and most importantly, 
if Lamar makes the leap from year to year, if the leap he made from last year, throwing the football to the way he's throwing the ball this year, was wow. incredible. The scary thing for the league is what if what if he makes the leap next year beyond where he is now? Like if this if this trend line just continues to go up as it really has for him throughout his college career and and through a couple of years in the NFL, then. Now, I don't. I'm not putting limits on this guy uh, on what he can do. No, I mean I, I think that's that's a great point, DJ. I, I think he he put in a lot of work and he, he made significant gains as a passer. And I still just think there's more that he can improve upon. I, I think there's more to his game in terms of being a traditional drop back passer that he can work on and allow his game to to continue to grow and flourish. And I think what he has to have is has to have the foresight division okay when my athleticism begins to decline can my knowledge and pocket passing ability go up so then it becomes i use my running ability uh only when i need to not because i have to and i think if he just looks uh to the pacific northwest and he looks at how russell wilson has grown and evolved i think that is a perfect model for him to copy russell wilson if you notice he kind of saves himself to the fourth quarter when it comes to running. He doesn't put yep. himself out there much early in games, but when it gets down to money time, that's when he's willing to use his athleticism. I think the evolution for Lamar Jackson is to be a quarterback that is athletic enough to do it, but he only does it when he has to do it. And I think that is really, really important for him to keep in mind. Well, great way to say it. Um, all right, that was a fun episode today. Great to catch up with Mark Brunell talking about the Jacksonville situation as well as uh, a couple big games coming up, three big games actually coming up on Saturday. Uh, NFL Network triple header. Cannot wait for that. Uh, Buck, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, nah, man, I think this is terrific. I, I just love talking to team building thing. I think our segment on the Baltimore Ravens was awesome. I don't think you talk enough about like some of the little lessons that you have, so I got to pull it out of you because I'm fascinated by what you guys used to do in Baltimore. <laughs> Uh, it was fun, man. It was great for to listen to you talk to your former teammate as well, Bark, Mark Brunell. So fun episode today. Appreciate you guys listening. Remember, all of our videos, nfl.com slash MTS video. Uh, you can also check out the uh, the, new U- the new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash NFL podcast. You can find videos there as well. That's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening to Move the Sticks, presented by AARP. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.